There was a servant in England whose master was a Nazi, a literal Nazi, not just a bad master, an actual real Nazi, right before World War II. Now, the servant wasn't mixed up in his master's politics. His master had come from, like, old money, old inherited titles and land, and the servant was just sort of a part of that deal. He kept his politics to himself, but he wanted to be a good servant. He wanted to do a good job. And so he worked hard, and he sacrificed of himself, and he studied things, and he worked really hard to be a great servant for his Nazi master. The war ends, the Nazis lost, hopefully that's not like too big a spoiler, Uh, and uh, of course, you know, it was not a popular thing then to be a Nazi in England, and so his master loses all of his friends, he loses all of his influence, he still has all of that old wealth and, and, you know, the, uh, the title, but it's all very hollow, he has an empty life. Servant continues to serve all the way to the end of his career. But he arrives at the end of his career, and he has a chance to reflect. And he asks himself, what was it all for? He was a good servant, but he was a good servant to a kind of lousy guy, a really lousy guy. This is the plot uh, to a movie called Remains of the Day. Now that I've told you it, you don't need to see it. So... You're welcome. Uh, But it raises an extremely interesting question, right? What is it that constitutes a wasted life? Today we're looking at a part of uh, the answer to that question. We're looking at the biblical parable of the prodigal son. Now the word prodigal isn't something we use so much. It basically means like wasteful, someone who dumps their money on stupid things, uh, things that are meaningless and not particularly useful. Uh, I would like to point out before we go into this, uh, this is a little tangential, but in this parable there are two sons. The prodigal son is the younger one and he's the one that we usually tend to focus on. There's an older son and when Jesus actually was telling this parable the older son was kind of the very sharp point of this particular parable. We're going to talk about the younger one today but Go back and read the parable again. The older son and his foibles and sins are the ones that are very, very threatening to uh, Christians, particularly lifelong Christians, and it's, uh, it's worth a look. But for today, we'll focus in on the end of the prodigal son's uh, parable. He's received his inheritance. He's wasted his inheritance. And now, sitting in amongst the pigs and starving to death, he finally comes to his senses in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 to 24. And it says, But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The youngest son in this account couldn't wait for his dad to be dead. And so he asked for his inheritance early. And it sounds like it was no small amount either. Certainly the kind of amount that would have been good to actually start a life off with. And he instead uses it for dumb stuff. In fact, our text actually underscores this point. When he goes to his father and asks for his inheritance, he actually says that he wants his stuff. And then the father, when he gives it to him, the word that gets used for the inheritance is he gives him his part of life. He gives him something that could be used to actually make a life with, and he throws it away. It's frustrating just to hear about that sort of thing because it's a story that we see played out over and over and over again in reality. Uh, my very first job ever, the first thing that I ever actually got a paycheck for was I was a tour guide at the Winchester Mystery House. Have you guys ever heard of it? It's a wonky place. Some yeses, some noes. It's a very wonky place. It's kind of like the quintessential haunted mansion type place. Here's the, just a very quick background, okay? Sarah Winchester was the heir to the Winchester Arms fortune. And uh, she had a series of tragedies that left her very uneasy, so she consulted with a medium, like in a seance, and the person told her that all of the ghosts of the indigenous Americans who had been killed by Winchester rifles were really mad at her, and that they were going to make her life misery, and the only way that she could protect herself was to build a house and never stop building it. So she moved out to San Jose, which was just farm at the time, and for the next 38 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, she had building crews working on building out this gigantic house. And it's all weird and wonky. It's fun to go to, right? It's an enjoy. If you're out in San Jose, it's worth your time to look at. And it was always fun to go to work. I enjoyed being a tour guide there. But I will also say, every single time I went to work, I also felt sad. Because the waste of it all. This was a woman who was unbelievably wealthy. Her conscience was clearly plagued by what the uh, weapons made by her family had done. Think about what that wealth that she had, what the difference that it could have made in the world. If she felt bad about what had happened to their people, she could have built schools and universities and hospitals. She could have taken that incredible wealth and used it to actually make a difference in people's lives for generations upon generations. And instead, she wasted it on a big, stupid house. It's fun to see, but at the end of the day, it is a gargantuan monument to waste. We have also been given a lot, physically and otherwise. We've been given resources that we can use, bodies that can work, minds that can think, mouths that can speak, passion that can pursue, creativity that can make, supporters who can shape, 
What is it that's been given to you? Sometimes we, we do a comforting thing where we count our blessings and we think about all the good things that we've got in our lives. What has been given to you that makes you special? What are the things that have been given to you that don't make you special but are still resources that everybody has? And then we ask ourselves the creepy question, what are we doing with them? Solomon had more resources than any of us will ever enjoy. Uh, and he spent them on everything that we might think would make a difference. He spent lavishly on public works and on grand things for himself and on fun diversions and on uh, women and on social prestige and influence internationally and to secure uh, a safe place for his people. He got to the end of his life and looking back on everything that he had worked on and everything that he had spent, he said it was all meaningless. It was all a waste. Anything not used in God's immediate service had just been thrown away, a distraction for his own amusement. There's an interesting little turn of phrase that gets used uh, in, this, uh, in this account. When the money w uh, runs out, right, when it says that he came to himself, right, there's a, uh, there's a notable way that the Bible says it. It says, when he came to the end. We face the end always. Sometimes I hear uh, an accusation get levied at college students that you don't have an appreciation of time, that you don't have an appreciation of the time that's left available to you. You think you have all the time in the world. I don't think that accusation is true. Like, I think that you guys are keenly aware of time. Some of you in this room have a speech that you will have to give tomorrow to me. Does that feel like maybe time is ticking away? Do I got any seniors in here? Where are my seniors at? There's no seniors in chapel today. Give me a break. There we go. Now there's some. What are you going to be doing when you graduate? Where, what do you want to do? Are you going to work? Yeah, you see, you feel, did you see the, the, feel the oxygen just got sucked right out of the room, okay? That is the feeling that older people get when we think about, uh, uh, about the end of our lives. You have deadlines, right? You've got your speeches that you have to give tomorrow, right? You've got uh, uh, your graduation, which is quickly coming up. You've got deadlines, but all of us also face, like, the terminal deadline. There is a time in which it all runs out and we look back. If you've wasted your time prepping for class, if you've wasted your time in college getting things done, then who's to say that you're not wasting your life and at the end you'll crave a couple more minutes to quick try to do the things that you should have done when you were alive. Who's to say when we look at our lives that we aren't treating what we've been given, our gifts, just like wasteful sons. Even on the most basic level, you were given a gift. You were given eternal life. All you had to do was follow some rules and you'd live forever and you didn't keep them. You had an inheritance of life and you threw it away. 
There's a turn of phrase again that's used in our verses here uh, for the son. When he's reached his end and uh, he knows that there's no hope for him. He's completely desperate. And the only place that he can turn is to his father. That's the only way that there's hope. It says that he rose up. And actually the word that gets used there is the exact same word that gets used for Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Everything has been squandered. He has nothing left, but his father has wealth to spare. In our own case, when we had nothing but the memory of a discarded inheritance and a squandered life of gifts, Christ gave his inheritance to you. In fact, Just like an inheritance passes via death, someone dies to give it to you, the same thing happened with Jesus. Jesus died to provide you with his life's wealth, and that is no small thing. He was the owner of all things. When the Bible says that Jesus gave all for you, it means that very literally right down to his blood, he turned over everything that he had and made it yours, poured the riches of heaven over you, the wasteful child. We can see on the cross what it was that Jesus was left with, what it was that we actually had, what we had to offer to him, naked and alone with nothing. The poverty that we brought on ourselves became his. But that which was dead becomes alive again. In our text today, it's not metaphorical when the uh, father is saying, my son was dead, but now is alive again. We had nothing. We didn't even have a life. And Christ gave us his. Christ's life has an unbelievably, incredibly useful feature to it. It doesn't end. It's eternal. He gave us a preview of how it's going to look. We see firsthand what it's like to have Jesus' life. Easter shows it to us. The tomb is open and there's nobody inside of it. That's the life that was given to you. That's the life that you have right now. That's the inheritance that he passed off. He showed showed us how it works. We have the promise of God reunion with our father in his mansion because our older brother gave up his inheritance to provide for you i'm very sad to tell you that you will never outgrow waste i still submit things at the absolute last moment sometimes i submit things after the last moment. And again, Sergio, I'm very sorry about that, okay? Uh, I play Starfield when I could be doing something that would be more useful. You will ultimately never make full use of the gifts that God has given to you. So what a comfort it is to know that the wealth of the Lord is so great that our own wastefulness can't exhaust it. It'll never catch up to it. And an eternal inheritance of life is kept safe for you 
in the mansions of your Father. Amen. We join in prayer. Lord God, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have comforted us with the news of the inheritance won by your Son. In this world, help us to appreciate the gifts that you have given us aright, and when we squander them, teach us to learn holy and lean holy on you, the provider of all good things in this world and the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.